you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by DraftKings. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, masking and socially distancing when and where appropriate. We got a good show for you, as we always do on Fridays. And we will get into the recap of last night's TNF game between the Bengals and the Browns. We'll look ahead to some of the big questions in week two. Plus, We'll play a little bit of Real or Mirage, talk about some of the big performances that happened in week one, whether or not they are a portent of things to come or whether or not it was just a flash in the pan. We'll be joined, as always, on Friday by our pal Michael F. Florio. But before we do all of that, let's talk to our faithful producer, Senior Edward L. Murphy Esquire. So, uh, Murph, through one week and one game, uh, how are your fantasy squads looking? Hey, last night with uh, Joe Mixon and the way he performed was not great. I did have Odell Beckham. Uh, I have a few shares of him in some leagues, but man, oh man, it's like seeing Gio Bernard in there. I think I tweeted something last night, like every level of football, whether it's peewee to high school to even some college, it's like if you are the running back who gets the bulk of the yards, they usually reward you with the touchdown once you get in like the red zone. And it's like the NFL does not care. It's like, oh, cool, Mixon, you just got 80 yards. All right, Gio Bernard, come in. We're going to call your number. You're, you're going to get this touchdown. Like there's just no rewarding the players there. So that's kind of what happened last night at the end of that game because I was uh, across my fingers for some garbage time there. It's almost like uh, every running back, or at least like Joe Mixon, is like Wendell Brown from Varsity Blues. Uh, and, and Zach Taylor decided to go out and be Bud Kilmer and pull him out at the goal line yeah. to let uh, to let you over and get those touch. Yeah, it's it's got to be frustrating. Um, I mean, I don't know. On the whole, you got to be excited. Odell's back at least for fantasy. Yeah, and I've always been an Odell fan. Um, I, I think he was just a guy that needed to get on the same page with Baker Mayfield. I thought the issues were more of a Baker problem than an Odell problem because everyone knows that he's a guy that's going to show up and he's going to work hard. And um, and and finally, they're getting the same page. So yeah, drafting him like the third round, uh, like he was going usually in the third rounds, maybe late second. It's like now you're going to get some production back from him. So if this if this Browns offense is on the same page, yeah, they're clicking with those two running backs and the receivers they have. I mean, it's it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, no doubt. We uh, will certainly dig into that as well. But uh, I know a lot of fantasy managers feel the way you did. Seeing Odell get in the end zone, I think, was certainly uh, very exciting for a lot of folks. So, uh, hey, sure. now let's bring in our good friend, Michael F. Florio. Good to see him on Fridays, as always. Uh, Florio, how you feeling over there? I'm feeling great. We had a – last night's game was surprisingly really good for fantasy. I was not expecting as many fantasy points as we got out of it. Yeah, no doubt. I feel like styles make fights, and you have two teams that are fairly evenly matched, so maybe that's sort of why we ended up with the game we did. So, uh, yeah, that'll be, that'll be interesting. We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. But want to start uh, with a little bit of fantasy news, and we will start with the New York Jetropolitans. Jamison Crowder is out for this week's game against the 49ers. Adam Gase uh, went so far as to say he's been our best player for the last two years. He's probably not wrong. But now that he is out, uh, Le'Veon Bell is on injured reserve, so he's gone for at least the next three weeks. 
I mean, Mike, are there any Jets that you would think about playing this week? I think the only one I would consider is Chris Herndon, and that's maybe if you're having to dive a little bit deeper at tight end. I get it. There's going to be a lot of volume there for him, but I'm staying away from all the Jets this week if I can. They've averaged the least amount of yards and touchdowns per game since 2019. I know Adam Gase is a brilliant offensive mind, or so we've been told, but nothing the Jets' (laughs) offense has done has ever backed that up. Uh, The 49ers are really tough. Really tough defense. They're tough against tight ends. For me this week, I'm looking to avoid every single one of the Jets fantasy players. Yeah, I'm sort of with you on that. I mean, last week was just a train wreck for their offense against the Bills. Then, as you mentioned, they get the 49ers. They've got the Broncos next week. So the start of the season doesn't really do them a whole lot of favors in terms of scheduling. I'm sort of with you on Chris Herndon because... Uh, I would expect they're going to have to be pass-heavy to try to stay in this game against the 49ers, so maybe he gets some run. But but on the whole, uh, it is a hashtag never Jets week as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I, would, I would pretty much stay away from everybody there. But since we're talking about tight ends, in that same game, George Kittle uh, looks like he's going to play. Everybody around the 49ers say they fully expect him to play. He's been dealing with a sprained knee that he suffered in week one. Now, he came back and played in the second half of that game, but was completely shut out by the Cardinals. I know he's had some time to sort of get ready to go. So is it as simple as saying if George Kittle plays, that you put him in your lineup this week? Yeah, I don't know if that is the correct answer, but that is how the approach that I'm taking this week. Like, I have... A, a few leagues where I have George Kittle and I've gone out and I've picked up a backup Titan Thomas is someone that I really like as a pivot in case Kittle doesn't suit up. But my approach is, hey, if Kittle is playing, I'm putting Kittle in my lineup. We've seen him do this before where he won't practice and then he'll end up suiting up and playing. And George Kittle is an absolute beast. It only takes one or two plays for him to put up big fantasy numbers because we know what he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch. So if Kittle is suiting up, I'm playing him this weekend. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Although I will say the Niners are getting some help back. Brandon Ayuk is expected to play, so they're hoping he can come in and make an impact catching the football in that offense. Uh, Jordan Reed got on the field a little bit last week. I don't know how much he's going to be involved in the game plan, although, you know, who knows? If George Kittle is not 100% or is not available, maybe we see more Jordan Reed, but I don't, I don't know that I have the guts to go there and make that pickup and start Jordan Reed in the event of a George Kittle absence. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. But right now, the, the signs point toward him playing. So we'll see if he's on the field Sunday against the Jets. In Baltimore, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, says the running back rotation for the Ravens is going to be different every week. Everywhere in the world, fantasy football managers just got sick to their stomach because, <laughs> you know, we, we were trying to figure out how this split was going to go between Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. Uh, Last week, Dobbins sort of wins based on the strength of getting those touches inside the five and scoring a couple of touchdowns. But now with this news, I mean, what do you see as the outcome in this backfield? I think it would be a complete year. And when they drafted J.K. Dobbins, I was a little hopeful that maybe they would just use those two backs and not use Gus Edwards. But Gus Edwards was a factor in week one. I don't think Gus Edwards is going to go away. He's been an effective player in real life for the Ravens whenever they use him. Last week, Mark Ingram led them in carries with 10. That is not a high number at all for fantasy. J.K. Dobbins, though, led them in snaps with 40%. That's not a high number. And Dobbins saw both touches inside the five-yard line. 
I think this is going to be a complete mess for fantasy going forward, especially if it's a guessing game each week. Like, what if one week Dobbins leads in touches and then the next it's Ingram? It's just going to be a headache. And for me, I have them ranked as more flex options than RB2s this week. They're both outside my top 20 and my top 24 running backs. They're, they're just flex options for me right now. Well, and you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously Ingram and Dobbins and Edwards. And let's obviously we have to throw in the fact that Lamar Jackson is still going to run with the football as well. So that's one more guy to take some of those opportunities. I was with you. I was I was hoping that there was still something there for Mark Ingram. I think he's still a talented player. I still think he has something left. I, I thought that maybe Dobbins would be a year away from a big workload in this offense, but it appears that maybe his time is I won't say now, but at least it's closer to now than I originally had intended. <laughs> and and you're right. If if they're going to go with sort of a hot hand approach or they're going to keep everybody guessing, then at some point you almost have to sort of back away. You, you flex these guys or you leave them on your bench until we can get some sort of clarity as to how they're going to use things. And look, I say this all the time. Situations like this are great for real football because it makes you hard to defend. They are for fantasy football because we just want clarity and it appears that at least for now we're not going to get any from the Ravens and their backfield speaking of backfields in the same division uh, James Conner was dealing with an ankle injury it looks like he may play he was a full participant in practice on Thursday but reports out of Pittsburgh uh, from Ed Bouchette who is a longtime Steelers beat writer suggest that Benny Snell Jr. could get a bigger role in that Steelers backfield, even if Connor is healthy and when he is ready to go. So now what do you see as James Connor's fantasy value if this turns into more of a rotation situation? To me, this is a very similar backfield to the Ravens, right? Like you could have two, maybe even three backs involved because Jalen Samuels was still used a little bit in the passing game in week one. Benny Snell looked good. Benny Snell earned his run in this offense, I think, with his week one performance, rushing for over 100 yards. And my take on Connor heading into the season was, I don't know how long he's going to stay healthy. Turned out it was just one week. But I thought as long as he stayed healthy, he would see the bulk of their work. He'd be a bell cow back, and he would be a value in fantasy. But now that doesn't look to be the case, and I think a something I'd be very fearful of if I have Connor is him and, and Snell splitting the groundwork and then him and Samuels both being used in the passing game. For right now, if all three are active and playing this week, I think at best you flex one of them. And, and I'm feeling a little bit better about Benny Snell right now because he's not banged up. He looked really good in week one. And James Conner, who's already dealing with an injury, could be just one play away from sitting out the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, Snell looked faster on Monday night than I think what we have seen from him in the past. And, I mean, you said James Conner we, we, we went one week. He went one half of one week before <laughs> he ended up getting hurt. And you do start to wonder whether or not this decision by the Steelers, if, if it does go this way, has to do with the fact that they're just not certain about uh, Connor's durability. I, I felt like that was sort of you know, baked into his draft value there. We, we kind of took him in later rounds, later, you know, relatively speaking, uh, because of the injury concerns. But I thought there was always that belief, as you mentioned, that the Steelers were going to be a one running back team and that if James Connor was healthy, he would be that guy. It appears that that's shifting in Pittsburgh and suddenly you do have to reevaluate what you think about James Conner. If he was your RB2, I don't know, what do you think? Is he now, if he wasn't RB2 before, is he now more of a, a third running back, a flex option in a lot of leagues for you? 
think so. Like, I would not feel comfortable starting him as my RB2 this week. And I think if you were able to grab one of the top waiver wire backs this week, like, I, I think I would use Benny Snell over him. I, I would use James Robinson because at least we know that he's going to get the groundwork there. I, I would take a wait-and-see approach with Connor in this backfield just because the workload is such a question mark. His health is a question mark. I, I don't know what you can really feel good about with James Connor in week two. You know, looking at the Connor situation, looking at the Mark Ingram situation, it's so far, and again, I know it's a very small sample size, but it has reinforced the importance of in your drafts going out and getting one of those true workhorse running backs in the first couple of rounds. I mean, uh, look, I, and even look, I'll even say Saquon Barkley. I know he had a bad game, uh, relatively speaking, on Monday night last week, but still, you know the touches are going to be there. You're not worried that all of a sudden Wayne Gallman is going to start getting snaps in that backfield and mess everything up. I think. Did you see Tiki calling out Saquon though? I did. Um, that yeah. was surprising to me. That was very surprising. Uh, I get the sense Saquon's going to just shake it off and not put too much behind it. But uh, yeah, that that definitely surprised me. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. I'm not worried about Saquon long term. I think he's going to be fine. All right, let's turn our attention to, uh, to Thursday Night Football, an AFC North matchup between the Bengals and the Browns. It was hyped as a Heisman Trophy winner slash number one pick against Heisman Trophy winner slash number one pick. Browns get a 35-30 to 30 win in what was a very surprisingly high-scoring game, as, as Florio mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, go through some of the top scores fantasy-wise. Nick Chubb having a huge day, 124 rush yards, two touchdowns, Kareem Hunt with 101 total scrimmage yards, uh, rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. Odell Beckham Jr. getting into the act as well. So let's start on the Browns side. I mean, they were awful against the Ravens. They looked great against the Bengals. So do we, what, do we, what do we make of the offense and what do we make of this running back split? I think the running back split is going to be continue to be the two of them all year. And I know Nick Chubb had a monstrous game. I have him in the league. I was very excited. I enjoyed it. But on the year, Kareem Hunt still does have more fantasy points. Like Kareem Hunt has shown us that you could trust him as an RB2 or a flex each and every week, I think, because the usage is simply going to go his way, especially this was a game last night where the game script lined up perfectly for Nick Chubb. They were playing the whole second half with a lead, a multiple score lead at times, and Kareem Hunt still went off for 24 fantasy points. And in a game like in week one where they were trailing multiple scores, he was the back that you wanted to have there. So I think he's in play each week. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is still uh, – I have him as a low, a high-end wide receiver too. That's where I had him coming into the year because I think he will be a little up and down because of Baker Mayfield, but – I still think we were we were getting a little bit too low on Odell after week one. It's almost like the Ravens are one of the best defenses in the league, and it was understandable why the Browns would struggle in week one. Yeah, go figure about that. Baltimore, <laughs> Baltimore is probably going to shut a lot of people down this year. Maybe that's something we should take into account. But it was nice, as, as Eddie mentioned at the top of the show, to see Odell Beckham Jr. come back into our lives. I know he said... Uh, he wanted to get involved early, and it looked like they got him involved early in that game. I mean, we saw uh, the big throw downfield that led to the touchdown. But even all throughout the game, they were trying to get the ball to OBJ as much as possible. Uh, they were using him, you see there, on some underneath routes. They were trying to get him down the field. He just looked like the Odell that we had been used to seeing for so many years. Now, the next trick is to get him over 100 yards, because I think now it's been, what, 12 straight games for him. Uh, without 100 receiving yards, which is the longest streak of his career. So 
uh, one thing at a time, certainly for Odell. But, uh, you know, Florio, like you said, I mean, there's, there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, although I will say this, look, next week they have the Washington football team. And I think we're still sort of learning about their defense. I think we're still sort of learning about the Browns offense. So I, I would say early on, and, and maybe you agree or disagree, that next week against Washington maybe gives us a, a better picture of what the Browns offense can be. I agree because I think it's hard to judge them so far because they played one of the best defenses in the league and then one of the you know poorer defenses in the league in the Bengals. So I'm not sure we've seen the true Browns offense yet, but I'm hoping that it looks closer to last night than week one. Yeah, uh, you and everyone in Cleveland hope <laughs> that, that that is the case. Uh, on the flip side, looking at the Bengals, their top fantasy scorers, Joe Burrow, ended up having a very good fantasy night, that 316 yards, three touchdowns, threw the ball 60 times, which I don't think was in Zach Taylor's original game plan, but it certainly worked out that way. Tyler Boyd uh, scores a late touchdown, seven catches for 72 yards and a score. I will say personally, uh, because I advised people in my household to start Tyler Boyd, that I was certainly thrilled to see that touchdown because uh, it saved me from a lot of grief uh, in my own home last night. Uh, and then CJ Uzama had a very good night, four for 42 and a touchdown before he left with what is uh, being called an Achilles injury. But the name that you're not hearing here is Joe Mixon. Uh, he just did not have a great night. This is sort of two weeks in a row that Mixon underwhelmed. What are we doing if we have Joe Mixon on our fantasy rosters now? I think there's two sides of this coin. Like one is, yeah, two disappointing weeks. He he didn't really – he had the potential last night to have a really big fantasy day and just it did not come. He got stuffed at the goal line. They, they did not use him in the passing game in the second half despite him catching all four targets in the first half. The positive is he still did have 20 touches, and that is big volume. I think, though, that – Joe Mixon, while we drafted him as an RB1, I feel like he's more of a high-end RB2. He will have some RB1 weeks, but Gio Bernard is clearly still a factor there. And when they were playing from behind, when they went into the two-minute or the hurry-up offense, they it was, it was Gio Bernard out there, not Joe Mixon. And you could say, oh, that's due to pass protection, whatever reason you want to say. It still leads to more targets for Gio Bernard than for Joe Mixon. It puts a cap on Joe Mixon upside each and every week. He will have some big games, but I'm starting to value him more as an RB2 rather than a top 10 running back this year. Yeah, I, I think I have to reevaluate because I was really big on Joe Mixon. I thought that he would have a huge load, a huge workload. Uh, I thought maybe he had the chance to even uh, sort of knock on the door of the top seven, maybe even top five, depending on how things worked out. I, I know... There's still time. It's only been two games, but the usage rates are starting to be concerning with him. And as you mentioned with Gio Bernard, uh, that's going to take a big chunk out of his opportunity. I think the frustrating part, though, is that I don't see Bernard getting enough work to make it worth you know, playing him on a regular basis, right? I mean, he's getting some touches. He's getting some, some receptions and some targets. Uh, he seems to be the third down back. But it just seems like more than anything, he's going to hurt Joe Mixon more than he helps himself. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what you do with that. I mean, I, I don't know if you – do you even consider rostering Gio Bernard if this is how they're using him? I picked him up in one league this week, and it was more like I didn't even consider starting him. It was more a 
let's see if he is, you know, if he gets a lot of this passing down work. And, and he did, but he didn't do a whole lot with it. I agree with you, Marcus. Like, I, unless there's an injury to Joe Mixon, I don't think Gio Bernard is going to be fantasy relevant. He may have a couple of big games where, you know, he'll catch five, six balls, but I think those games are going to be more game script dependent. And he is just someone that I would not want, at least as of right now, I would not want to trust in my starting lineup. Well, I mentioned CJ Uzama, who left the ball game with what looks like an Achilles injury. In fact, uh, the news actually just coming out uh, not long ago that he is going to be out for the season with a torn Achilles. So we saw Drew Sample get a lot of looks in those last couple of drives as the Bengals were trying to come back. Uh, considering how Uzama has been used and considering it looks like Joe Burrow seems to have an eye for tight ends, do you have any interest maybe in Drew Sample? I think so. Like, I'm in one league that's a 20-team league, and I've been searching for it <laughs> all year. I'm going to pick him up there. But I think even in, like, in more than, like, a 12-team league, he can be on that, like, low-end tight end one, high-end tight end two range. In a 10-team league, I don't think I'm ready to go and, and grab him yet. But everything you said is true. Like, Burrow's been throwing to the tight ends a lot. I, I do think last night, though, might have been a little matchup uh, dependent because – Throwing to the tight end was clearly in their game plan. They targeted Sample nine times, Uzama six times, and we saw the week before that what Mark Andrews did, catching the two touchdowns against the Browns. You may be able to pick on the Browns with tight ends this year going forward, but I, I do think in 12-team leagues or deeper that he is very much a name that you're going to look at on the waiver wire this week if you're in need of a tight end, especially because I I've heard you talk about it before, Marcus. Like We always think tight end is so deep. But by like weeks two, three, four, we're suddenly sitting there like, wow, I need to pick up and start Drew Sample. I mean, look at this. Just in our, in our early segment alone, we've talked about George Kittle being hurt. Uh, we talked about Chris Herndon being maybe a start if you're struggling. And now we're talking about picking up Drew Sample. I mean, this is this is where we are. And we haven't even gotten to the second Sunday of the season uh, at the tight end position. Uh, a couple other things that I took away uh, from last night. One. Looks like you can start running backs against the Bengals. Uh, I know that they have a couple of injuries along their front line. Geno Atkins isn't there. Mike Daniels isn't there. So maybe that changes a little bit when those guys get back at healthy. And as you mentioned, starting tight ends against the Browns through two weeks seems to be a pretty good deal. So uh, that's just something to keep an eye on. Which you mentioned Logan Thomas earlier. Uh, they've got Washington next week. So maybe Logan Thomas ends up as kind of a sleeper tight end pick. When the, when, when the FT takes on the Browns uh, in week three. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that, certainly. In the meantime, today's show is sponsored by DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings has millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs this week. So download the DraftKings app now. Use code TEAM during sign-up and start feeling the sweat like never before. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Time to look at some of the big questions facing fantasy folks in week two. We will start down in... In Tampa Bay, where the wide receiver situation is sort of in flux. There was some good news, though, for the Bucks. Chris Godwin was back on the field. He was in concussion protocol earlier in the week. So it looks like there's a chance he can play this week against the Carolina Panthers. But look, Mike Evans was banged up last week. We saw Scotty Miller get a whole lot of touches. Uh, there was talk that if Godwin doesn't play, that maybe we see some Justin Watson on the field for Tampa Bay. How are you approaching the Buccaneers pass catchers this week? I I had Mike Evans outside of my top 10 when I thought that Chris Godwin was going to be playing. That will be changing. Like, now that Godwin is doubtful, I'm going to be bumping up Mike Evans a lot. And then I think Scotty Miller is the other name you take interest to there. We know Chris Godwin, he works 
a lot out of the slot with him missing there. We did see Mike Evans actually run the second most routes for the Bucks out of the slot in week one. I think he'll still see a good amount of work there, but someone's going to have to step up and take those Chris Godwin routes. I think it's going to be Scotty Miller, and I think Scotty Miller is a sneaky name that you could pick up and actually start this week. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because I think Miller's a guy that I targeted off the waiver wire in a couple of leagues just because you saw the targets, right? And, and it seems like he and Brady have a connection, at least through one game. Uh, it's something to keep in mind. And I do think that if, if Godwin does not play, you see Miller move inside to the slot, as you mentioned, to take those routes. Watson ends up being the other guy on the outside. And we know that Brady loves his, his slot guys. I mean, we saw that with Welker and Edelman for so many years. We saw it with Godwin a little bit. Uh, last week, and he, you just add the fact that he seems to like Scotty Miller with moving Miller to the slot. That seems to really bode well for what his targets could be on top of it. It's just such a good matchup. I mean, we, we saw the Raiders passing game have some success uh, against the Panthers in week one. I got to think that uh, the, the Bucks could do the same against this team in week two. So that's something just to kind of keep an eye on. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Rams and the Eagles face off against each other. Neither Jared Goff nor Carson Wentz had great fantasy weeks in week one. So who do you think is more likely to rebound? Will it be Jared Goff or will it be Carson Wentz? It's Jared Goff for me. I mean, Carson Wentz, everyone around him, it feels like, is dealing with some sort of injury. I know they're hoping that they're going to get their pieces back from the offensive line. They're hoping that Miles Sanders is going to be good to go this week. But that's just a lot of injuries around him. And he was sacked eight times in week one it's hard to throw the football successfully when you're getting pressured that much getting taken down that often and I think the the Rams secondary scares me a little bit more than the Eagles I think this is a perfect bounce back game for Jared Goff and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup to just all go off and take advantage of that Eagles secondary I 100% agree with you I think this is the Jared Goff bounce back game and I liked Carson Wentz coming into the season, but what I saw from them on Sunday gave me a lot of reason to be concerned. All the reasons you laid out. The offensive line looks like it has some issues. The pass catchers seem to be struggling to stay healthy. Miles Sanders was missing last week. Uh, I think for the Rams last week, we saw a lot of the run game because that's just sort of the way the game plan worked out. And especially because Malcolm Brown was running so well. Uh, Sean McVay was smart enough to say, hey, look, you know what, let's just keep riding this. And they didn't need Goff to go out and necessarily have a huge game. I think this week they will put the ball in Goff's hands more. I think they'll start getting a lot of those people involved. And, and as you mentioned, I think the wide receivers have some big days. So for everyone who has Cooper Cup and is a little bit nervous about what Cooper Cup did last week, I think this will be a week that you can exhale because I think he's going to get his. I think the Rams passing game is going to get going. And, you know, this this has the potential to be maybe a higher scoring game because I do think the Eagles are going to have to throw the football to try to stay in it. Hopefully we see a full complement of Miles Sanders, too, because that will, I think, help Carson Wentz and will help the Eagles uh, move the football there. Uh, next question. Uh, since we're talking about the Eagles, we talked about what happened with them last week against the Washington football team and, and that defense how much attention should we be paying to the WFTDST in week two? I like the uh, the rhyme there, WFTDST. Um, <laughs> I think we should be paying attention to them. Eight, like I said, Carson Wentz was sacked eight times. It was a Washington who did that. Their front four is legit. There, they can get after the quarterback. I don't think that's going to change this week because I love Kyler Murray. I love the Cardinals, uh, you know, offense. 
But he was sacked 50 times last year. So I do think they'll be able to get to Kyler Murray. And in my opinion, sacks are the easiest way to rack up points because you can't really rely on interceptions and fumble recoveries as much, in my opinion, as you can on the sacks. So I think that they are in play this week. And I've actually picked them up in a couple of leagues where I missed out on the Rams defense. I've went and picked up them as my fallback option. Yeah, I I'm sort of got Kyler Murray on my beware list this week just because I'm wondering how that defense is going to get after them. Uh, I do think they are a, a nice pickup in a lot of leagues. And I do think if they have a good week this week, you're going to see them picked up and stashed in a ton of fantasy leagues uh, all across the game. The other part of this, though, is for years, you know, we always are looking for defenses to pick on uh, where we can start all of our guys. And Washington had been one of those defenses that we sort of pick on. We're like, hey, you know, they're playing Washington this week. You know, get your, uh, get your, your fantasy guys in there. I'm wondering if maybe that starts to go away this year. If this defense is as good as it looked in week one, uh, if they can sort of keep this up all throughout the year, it may be a situation where you you think twice before automatically just plugging your guys in against Washington, especially your quarterbacks, if you know they're going to be under duress for the course of four quarters. Uh, you know, hey, Florio, may, maybe maybe Washington's not that fantasy pushover. We, we might have to look somewhere else this year, huh? I, I agree. I think this defense, we've seen in years past how, like, you can add a – you know, a top defensive player in the NFL draft, and it can really start to change your defense. And they've done – they've already added a bunch of first-round picks to that D-line, but then you bring in Chase Young. I think that was the final piece they needed. And like you said, Marcus, it happens every year where there's suddenly defenses that are a lot better and you can't just attack them in fantasy. I think that's what the first couple of weeks of the fantasy season is for, like figuring out which defenses we can pick on and which we no longer can. Another one that – I used to love to pick on, especially with receivers, was the Bucks, but they're suddenly a lot less fun to pick on. So these first early couple of weeks, I think, really help us figure out which of those defenses we can just be like, hey, start everyone against them and which we can't do that to anymore. Yeah, uh, the, the Bucks. you, you, you mentioned, I, I do agree with that one as well. I felt like the Bucks' problem last year was that they just got put in bad situations because their quarterback kept turning the football over. Uh, that, that sort of happened last week, but... I think in the long term, I think Brady will sort of right himself, and, and that will help that Bucks defense out a ton. Uh, you don't think Brady's going to throw thirty picks? I, I'm I'm going to I'm going to go out on a limb and say <laughs> I don't think Tom Brady is going to throw thirty picks this year. Just call me crazy. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, speaking of quarterbacks, uh, a very interesting quarterback matchup this week: the Ravens and the Texans play. It's Lamar Jackson against Deshaun Watson, two of the marquee young quarterbacks in the National Football League. Uh, I think everybody is going to be interested in watching this game. For you, which quarterback has the bigger day? Is it Lamar or is it Deshaun? This is a really easy one for me. It's Lamar Jackson. Like, Lamar can have a, a huge fantasy day with just a couple of runs on his own. And then the Texans' defense does not scare me nearly as much as the Ravens. The Ravens, since 2019, the only team that has allowed less fantasy points to quarterbacks has been the Patriots. And the Texans just... I know it was a hard matchup in week one, but they just didn't look completely in sync. They had a lot of drops. There was a lot of miscommunication. So for me, this that I have Watson actually, he's still a QB one for me in 12 team leagues, but in 10 team leagues, I think you may be able to get away from him at times. Just I'm really scared by this defensive matchup. But now watch, he's going to go out and put up 30 <laughs> points this week. I mean, I, I, 
I still like Deshaun Watson. I like Lamar Jackson better. Let me just get that out of the way. I think he has the bigger week because I just think the game script will be more conducive to him kind of going out and doing his thing. But I do see a situation where Watson ends up kind of salvaging a decent fantasy day just because I think that the Texans may be forced to play catch up and they may be forced to throw the football uh, and that we'll see sort of Watson be able to pick up some, some second half points that way. The one thing that does concern me is we saw last week against the Chiefs that Deshaun Watson had to kind of run for his life. He had to scramble a few times, especially in the second half. The Chiefs got in his face and made him really uncomfortable. If Kansas City can do that, Baltimore can certainly do that. So that's a little bit of a concern. Maybe the upsides of that is that he gets you some rushing yards and maybe he gets you another rushing touchdown like you see right there. But uh, I'm sort of with you, though, Florio. I do think that it's going to be more of a, a Lamar Jackson day than a Deshaun Watson day. Um, just a quick side note. I mean, how, do, how are we feeling about the, the Houston pass catchers, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, et cetera, against that Ravens secondary that, that shut down the Browns? I'm trusting Will Fuller. Like, I have a lot of Will Fuller in my leagues this year, and I'm starting him out. What we saw in week one, the Chiefs are a very, very tough matchup, especially for wide receivers, and Will Fuller still put up numbers. He still got a ton of volume. He led them in every single category, basically, you can imagine. So I'm trusting him. I'm avoiding Cook Cooks. I'm avoiding Cobb. I'm not trusting anyone outside of Will Fuller. Uh, against the Ravens. I've got a league where I'm putting Brandon Cooks in. I'm not thrilled about it, but he's sort of the best option that I have at the moment. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to go with that and hope that maybe he, he can pop one or two big plays and make me feel better about that. But yeah, I think beyond Will Fuller, it's hard for me to trust any, any of those Texans pass catchers. Um, speaking of pass catchers, Michael Thomas, we know, is going to be out for the next several weeks as he deals with a high ankle sprain. The Saints have a very good matchup on paper against the Las Vegas Raiders. First game ever in Las Vegas uh, in NFL history. So which pass catchers do you think benefit the most from Michael Thomas not being there? I think it is Jared Cook, believe it or not. Like he had seven targets last week, but he also had nearly 50% of the Saints air yards. And I was shocked when I saw that number because I was like, Jared Cook, really? But <laughs> If he's going to see usage like that, I think that he is an obvious like tight end one that you need to play. But I also think there's going to be like a boost for everyone kind of around there because we know the volume that Michael Thomas sees each and every week. So I think it's kind of a all hands on deck scenario, like trying to replace him. You know, you got to start Kamara, but it was great seeing him used like he was in the passing game last week. Emmanuel Sanders caught a touchdown. I think that he is in play this week. And I even think Traquan Smith can be a sleeper. So while I think Jared Cook is the biggest benefactor, I think it just, it helps everyone in that offense. Yeah. Uh, Outside Jared of Cook. Drew Brees. Well, obviously, right? Uh, Jerry Cook obviously had the big game, as you mentioned, last week. The nice game, as you mentioned, last week. It's also a revenge game for him going against the, the Raiders, uh, you know, for whatever that does for you. I like Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, last week, if you go back and look, he didn't play a ton of snaps, but he played a lot of key snaps. The fact that he had four red zone targets last week, that was the most of anybody in the NFL in week one. It means, like I said, he wasn't on the field a lot, but he was on the field when the Saints were in scoring position, obviously with no Michael Thomas. I think those snap numbers go up. I think the target numbers go up. But especially if they are going to look for him down near the goal line, that, get, that means he's got a chance to put up some decent fantasy numbers this week. So I do think that he's a nice flex play in a lot of situations. I think he's been a popular add off the waiver wire 
understandably, because Michael Thomas isn't there. We wait to see how long it's going to be until MT returns, because that is certainly going to impact how the rest of the Saints offense goes until he's back on the field. It's time for Best Value, presented by DraftKings. We go through our favorite values of the week in daily fantasy. So let's get it started with the quarterback position. You're looking at that man down in Tennessee, huh? Yeah, he's made 11 starts with the Tennessee Titans coming into this week, but he's topped 19 fantasy points in eight of those. It's a good matchup against the Jaguars, where he actually has reached his highest point total in any of those starts as a member of the Titans. My only concern with him is the Jags can get ran all over and Derrick Henry is the best pure runner in football. So I have a little bit of concern that this could be a more of a safe floor rather than that high ceiling game for Ryan Tannehill. But I do think that high ceiling is in play here. And for his cost, and you can get around 19 fantasy points, I think he's a great value. Well, I'm going to go with Jared Goff. And we talked about it in the last segment, that game against the Eagles. It, it just seems set up. For the Rams to throw the football more, it seems set up for Goff to kind of get on track. I mean, he didn't have a touchdown pass last week. I, I'd like to think uh, he wants to get on the board. Sean McVay wants to get him on the board. And so I think it's going to work out well for Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, all those guys, Tyler Higby even. This feels like a big Jared Goff game coming. So I, I'm going to take him as my quarterback value. All right, over to the running backs. Uh, Jonathan Taylor has been the hot name in fantasy circles now that it looks like his opportunities are going to increase. Uh, he ends up being surprisingly a good value this week. Yeah, I don't think his DraftKings price has caught up yet to the <laughs> volume that we're all expecting him to see. Remember, coming into the year, a lot, myself and a lot of others were saying, like, Jonathan Taylor has league-winning upside if he can just shed Marlon Mack. Did not think Marlon Mack was going to get hurt in week one. And starting in week two, Jonathan Taylor was going to be their starter. But here we are. And I know Naheem Hines had the two touchdowns last week. Maybe it's a mistake on my part, but I'm still expecting Jonathan Taylor to become that goal line runner for the Colts. And the one knock on him was, this guy cannot catch passes, right? He was their leading receiver in week one. I think that you are, it's okay to get Jonathan Taylor in your lineup. And I think he is an absolute smash at 5,700 on DraftKings. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan Taylor catching the ball the way he did, I think that that knocked down a whole lot of myths about him and certainly made him a little bit more exciting. I'm going to go with David Johnson on my side. And I know we expressed concern about the Texans' offense and what it means. I think Johnson, though, still has a bit of a stable floor this week, especially with it not looking like Duke Johnson is going to be available. That means that David Johnson's going to get pretty much all of those backfield opportunities. And I think he's going to be fairly uh, game script independent. I don't think he's going to be affected by it because they can throw him the football a lot. We saw that in week one. So I still think he's going to get on the field. He's going to get a ton of opportunities. And I think if you're the Texans, maybe the best way to try to keep some of that pressure off Deshaun Watson is just having that pass catching running back as an outlet to uh, kind of keep those rushers a little bit slowed down and give Watson some time to look downfield a little bit later in the game. Uh, all right. So the wide receivers, I, I te tease the Aniston Sudeikis comment. Uh, <laughs> we're the Millers. We're going two different Millers, but uh, you've got one Miller on your side, huh? Yeah, Marcus, when you made that joke, it went over my head initially, but then I saw that we both have a Miller, and I got the joke. I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> oh, but I like Anthony Miller a lot this week. Six targets in week one. He was the Bears' leading receiver. He had an amazing touchdown catch that I don't know how he was able to catch that ball and stay in bounds for the score, but he was. And then 
He's an even better matchup this week against the Giants. They've allowed the fourth most fantasy points to receivers since 2019. And we saw what the Steelers were able to do against that secondary last week. Big Ben throwing for three touchdowns. Juju finding the end zone twice. Uh, James Washington finding it. I think Anthony Miller out of the slot for the Bears this week is going to have a nice safe floor with the catches and the yardage. And I would not be surprised if he scores for a second straight week. Absolutely love Anthony Miller this week as a, as a nice flex play. Uh, I'm going to go Scotty Miller. And we talked about the Buccaneers and their wide receivers. And, and I think regardless of what happens with Chris Godwin this week, I like Scotty Miller as a value play. Uh, 4,100, man. I mean, that's that's a pretty nice number uh, considering how much Tom Brady targeted him in week one and what he could potentially do in this offense. The matchup is fantastic against the Carolina Panthers. Uh, if Miller is outside, I think it's one thing. If he's somehow moves into the slot, I think his production gets even better throwing uh, catching passes from Tom Brady. But uh, with what, uh, especially if you're going to go big in other positions in your DraftKings lineup, the chance to get Scotty Miller in there at a discount price uh, is a pretty nice option. Uh, over to the tight ends. We keep coming back to the Los Angeles Rams. And I know how much you love Tyler Higby. So this, this does seem like a good opportunity to slide him in. Yeah, I don't think... Higby week one is indicative of who Higby is. I, I know that he did not have a big fantasy day at all, but that was a surprisingly pretty low scoring game. And, and the Rams offense, I don't think really got clicking against the Cowboys defense. I'm not nearly as fearful against the Eagles defense, especially because I don't think the Rams are going to be able to run all over them. The Eagles, their, their front defense is really, really strong, but their secondary is how, at least in years past, you've been able to pick on this defense. So I think it is a good day for Jared Goff, like we said earlier, and I think it's a good day for his pass catchers too. I think Tyler Higby gets in on the fun this week, and with his price being reduced to what it is, I, I think I would be using Higby in a lot of my DK lineups. Uh, I'm going to go with Jared Cook, and the price may be a little bit more elevated at 5300 this week, but I just think because of what we talked about earlier uh, and how the Saints may be using him with no Michael Thomas in the lineup, uh, I think it's it's sort of worth it to maybe spend a little extra on that part of your lineup, get Jared Cook in there, and understand that there are going to be uh, there are going to be opportunities there. In fact, we are pounding the table for Jared Cook. That is how much uh, we like him this week. So I do think that there's there. Look, if there's a spot that maybe you don't necessarily go, you know, super value, I think it's at the tight end position because Jared Cook is is going to be there. Uh, finally, we look defensively, and we were of the same mind on this one. We we keep coming back to the same game, but uh, the Rams just it just feels like the best opportunity, especially for what the value is this week. Yeah, we've mentioned it many times. Carson Wentz was sacked eight times in week one. Aaron Donald and those boys, I think, are going to be getting after him again this week. Right now, it feels weird to say, but I'm picking on the Eagles' offense. Right? Yeah, I, I didn't think we would be here, especially not in week two. But uh, here we are. We are picking on the Eagles because, hey, look, as you mentioned, uh, if Washington can get eight sacks, you've got to believe that Aaron Donald and those guys can get a pretty good number as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same thing. I'm going to go with the Rams. 2800 for the week seems uh, like a pretty good option. So that's, that's what we're going to do. It is time for a segment we debuted last week called Ask a Nerd. It went so well, we decided to bring it on back. We are asking our resident nerd researcher, Matt Okada, about rookie running backs. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire obviously made a big splash in week one, but a lot of his rookie cohorts played pretty well that first week of the season. So we wanted to know, what does that mean historically, at least over the last five years, for rookie running backs when it comes to their fantasy finishes? So let's now go on and ask our resident nerd. 
Thanks again, Marcus. With the potential rise of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor as fantasy stars this season, let's take a look at the best fantasy finishes by rookie running backs over the last five years. Coming in at number five is former Jaguars rookie Leonard Fournette, who scored 230.2 fantasy points and finishes the RB9 in 2017. Incredibly, Fournette did all that in only 13 games, fewest of any back on our list. At number four, we have surprise rookie sensation Kareem Hunt, who racked up 295.2 fantasy points in 2017 and finished as the number four running back that season as well. Of the five players on our list, Hunt was drafted the latest as he was selected in the third round, 86th overall by the Chiefs. At number three sits Alvin Kamara, the first running back on our list to break 300 fantasy points, as he totaled 320.4 in 2017 to finish as the RB3. Like Hunt, Kamara was a third-round pick in 2017, rounding out an incredible draft class that also included Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Joe Mixon. The number two spot goes to Cowboys star Ezekiel Elliott, who scored 325.4 fantasy points in his 2016 rookie campaign. Elliott's 15 rushing touchdowns in his debut season are tied for the second most in NFL history by a rookie, behind only Eric Dickerson. And finally, hurtling his way to number one on our list is Saquon Barkley. But Barkley's 385.8 fantasy points for the Giants in 2018 aren't just the most on our list. They're the most by any rookie, at any position, ever. Thanks once again for asking a nerd, and may the fantasy points be with you. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it there. Uh, okay, so now that he's put that out there, I mean, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, obviously the big week last week, he's on pace to score over 300 fantasy points. Uh, do you think he gets there? And are there other guys you think in this class that could maybe get to that 300-point mark? I do think he gets there. I had him as a top six running back heading into the to the season. And, Marcus, we spoke about it last week, how – that might have been too low. He got 25 carries, six inside the five in week one. I think he breaks the 300-point mark. The only other rookie running back I can see doing it is Jonathan Taylor. And I think he actually has a road to that now that Marlon Mack got hurt and he's just getting the what I expect him to get the bulk of the groundwork. And we already saw him use a lot in the passing game. So I think Jonathan Taylor can uh, push for that number as well. Outside of that, I'm not sure any other rookie running back can this season. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Taylor, I think Taylor uh, is, is the only other one. I know DeAndre Swift was one of those guys in the actual draft that we thought, you know, was going to be one of the top running backs off the board. But he's in a situation where I just – I don't think the offense in Detroit lends itself to him getting there. So I think you're right. It's, it's Edwards-Alaire. It's Taylor that sort of get there. Some other names, though, that, that were very surprising in week one in terms of their production and their usage – so of J.K. Dobbins, Zach Moss, and James Robinson, which one of those three do you think will remain relevant the longest over the fantasy season? I think in 2020, it's going to be Zach Moss. He split, had an even split in carries with Devin Singletary. And Singletary was used more in the passing game than Moss, but Moss was also still utilized there a good amount. And just like we saw in last year, the Bills don't trust Devin Singletary near the goal line. And when they got near it inside the 10, it was Zach Moss on the field, not Devin Singletary. So I think he will be uh, relevant the longest this season. But I think in 2021 on, it's J.K. Dobbins, no question. Yeah, I think Dobbins is hurt by what we talked about earlier, the fact that the Ravens running back situation could end up being a mess if they sort of go with a true uh, muddled committee situation there. And I think for Robinson, it's a situation where I just don't know that the Jaguars 
are going to have enough volume in their run game. Uh, I expect they're going to be playing from behind a lot, and that could that could potentially impact his ability to get the football in the second half of a lot of games if they have to throw the football and it ends up becoming a Gardner Minshew thing. So, all right, uh, that leads us to best of the pack presented by Panini Trading Cards. We got three cards out of the pack of some big name players, and we're wondering what's going to happen to them in week two. So we will start at running back with. Todd Gurley. Let's center that right there. There you go. Todd Gurley and the Atlanta Falcons taking on the Dallas Cowboys this week. When you look at this, how dependent do you think Gurley is going to be on game script in order to be productive? I think it's going to be pretty dependent. I, I will say you had five targets in week one, so you love to see that kind of pass game usage. But even with the volume he saw, he didn't do a whole lot with it. And he doesn't really look like the Todd Gurley from two years ago. He looks more like the Todd Gurley from last year. So I have really big concerns about the knee and, and just how he is going to be able to play if that knee is not what it was a couple of years ago. So Gurley, if you have him, I think you still have to start him, but I do not feel good about him going forward. Yeah, the, the targets were encouraging. The fact that they still use him near the goal line is sort of encouraging. And I'm, I'm holding on to the fact that the Falcons are going to play in a lot of high-scoring games. You just hope they don't get blown out in the first half, and then that changes what they do because then all of a sudden uh, Gurley might not be as involved in the second half of games when you need him to kind of get you those fantasy points. All right, number two, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, we don't have to really worry about him being game script dependent. 16 targets in week one. Do you think that was an anomaly, or is this how it's going to be most weeks for him? Man, I came into this year down on D-Hop. He was still in my top 10, but I just did not think he was going to get force-fed the ball like he would every single year in, year in Houston, getting 150-plus targets. And then this happens in week one. He dominated their target share, dominated their air yard share. I think he is going to make me look foolish. I expect big <laughs> volume for D-Hop every week. I mean, if it makes you feel better, I know there were a lot of fantasy analysts who sort of felt that way. Even I thought, okay, he'll be fine, but he's not going to get the same volume he did in Houston. That was wrong in week one. I still think there are going to be weeks we will see more Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald and, and who knows who else. But uh, the idea that he can't come close to his target numbers that he did in Houston, uh, maybe it is time to sort of rethink that in Cliff Kingsbury's offense. All right. Our last best of the pack for this week, it is... Dalvin Cook, the Minnesota Vikings, taking on the Indianapolis Colts this week. Uh, the Colts' run defense was so-so against the Jaguars in week one. Do you like this matchup for Dalvin Cook? Uh, it, it, the matchup doesn't scare me at all. Like It's not a great matchup by any stretch, but it's also not one of the harder hardest matchups in the league. My concern with Dalvin Cook more is his usage in week one. Like, he only had 12 carries. Alexander Madison had six. Madison had four targets to Cook's two. And I know Cook scored the two touchdowns and you were feeling good about him. But after, because I have Cook in a couple of leagues. And after I was looking at the box score, I was like, huh, 14 touches. Like, I I'm sorry, 13 <laughs> touches, 14 opportunities. Like, I want more out of my top five or top six overall pick. Yeah, and, and you hope that he doesn't become game scripted out. I mean, the, last week the Vikings had to throw the football late because the Packers sort of ran away. Maybe this week's it's a little bit closer. But 
it is worrisome because that Viking defense looks kind of leaky. And if they start giving up points, you do wonder what that means for Dalvin Cook. Hopefully this week, though, it's not an issue. And we see him get a pretty heavy workload from start to finish for the Vikings offense. Finishing up the show with a little real or mirage, looking at some big things that happened in week one and trying to figure out whether or not these things can be replicated throughout the year. So we will start with the Tennessee Titans, Corey Davis, who actually had a big game on Monday night for the Titans against the Denver Broncos. We have been waiting for the Corey Davis breakout for a while. So real mirage, this is the Corey Davis breakout season. I thought it was real until we heard that A.J. Brown might need to miss this week and maybe multiple weeks because we've seen Corey Davis attempt to be a number one wide receiver in this league for three and a half years Never really lived up to the expectations. And then in week one, he had a monstrous day, and they kind of came out and said, hey, the defense was dictating that we throw to Corey Davis. Like, they were focusing on A.J. Brown and Jonu Smith. So now if if A.J. Brown misses time, I think Corey Davis is going to go back to Mirage. But I think when this offense is fully healthy, he can be a really nice second piece for them in that passing game. You know what? I think I'm going to buy into this. I think this might be a real thing for, for Corey Davis. Maybe it just took a little extra time. Maybe it just took a change at quarterback, too, right? Uh, we, we saw that Marcus Mariota obviously was not the answer in this Titans passing game. Maybe Ryan Tannehill is. So uh, I'm going to start to buy in. I know that he's getting snatched up on waiver wires. I know he was a late-round draft pick in a lot of leagues. But if he's out there, uh, maybe take a flyer on him and see what this turns into. Speaking of wide receivers, Russell Gage had a big week in Atlanta, one of 300-yard receivers that the Falcons had in week one. So Russell Gage being a thing for the Falcons, real or mirage? I think it's real. Like like you said, all three went over 100 yards. Julio gets, you know, the talk because he's Julio and he just completely went off yard-wise. Calvin Ridley had the two touchdowns, so we're talking about him. But Russell Gage had 12 targets just like those other two. He had nine catches just like those other two, over 100 yards. I think he is the new Muhammad Sanu here, that slot specialist that we know Matt Ryan likes to target in the offense. So I think that I think he'll be a little up and down, but I think that he is real this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying in as well. I mean, we saw at the end of last season, he really played well in this Falcons passing game, and he seems to be picking up where he left off. Uh, the thing that sort of hurts my heart is that I think Russell Gage becoming a thing uh, goes against Hayden Hurst being a thing in that offense. And I was a huge Hayden Hurst stand all offseason. But uh, I think with the Falcons having a huge volume in their passing game, I do think there's opportunity for Russell Gage to be uh, very consistent all throughout the year. So Jimmy Graham. Uh, he had seven targets. Uh, he turned it into three, three catches for 25 yards and a touchdown. But the Bears seem to be looking for him in week one. So Jimmy Graham's fantasy resurrection, real or mirage? Mirage, mirage, mirage. <laughs> do not do this again. Do not get sucked into Jimmy Graham just because he caught a touchdown. Yeah, he was targeted seven times. But if you take that touchdown away, it's still a pretty gross fantasy day. Maybe he'll have some weeks where he'll catch a touchdown and he'll be an all right fantasy option. But we saw that in a few years ago now with Seattle when he was able to be fantasy relevant. I don't think he's going to be able to catch double digit touchdown passes this year, though. I want nothing to do with Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm staying away from this one. I'm calling this a mirage just because I, I just don't think the Bears are going to have uh, enough targets to go around consistently. And if his catch rate's going to be bad and if his yards, yards totals are going to be bad, he becomes heavily touchdown dependent. And I just don't think this Bears offense is going to score enough to support that. So um, I'm out on Jimmy Graham. Uh, all right. So last one, it starts with some very burning questions being asked on the Carolina Panthers bench. We'll take a look at that. 
That bear doing? That bear. Panther. That's Sir Purr, bro. Who? Sir Purr. How you say that? Sir Purr. Sir Purr. Oh, Sir Purr? Wow. You call him that? Yeah, that's his name. So you be like, what's up, Sir Purr? So the question is, Robbie Anderson becoming friends with Sir Purr in, Ca in Carolina. Is that going to be real or a mirage? I think it's going to be real. The NFL gave us so much great stuff in week one. That was easily the best. I mean, there's so many ways the Panthers can have fun with that. Like, how are they not going to just keep playing that up all year? I think this is very real. All right. I, you know what? I think I think maybe, but I'm going to say I'm gonna say Mirage. He just seems so befuddled by it. I mean, uh, he called it a bear. Uh, he asked if that was really his name. He's like, you got to be like, what up, Sir Purr? Like, he just seems so confused by the whole thing. I think I think he and, and Sir Purr may keep each other at arm's length distance for most of the year. But uh, I will tell you what, that was absolute gold to start the season. And, uh, you know, Props to the Panthers for putting that out there. They have one of the best social media departments around, and that was that was fantastic work to start the season. So, all right, there you go. That is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by DraftKings. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, dinosaurs never had coffee. And you see how that worked out. Be safe, take care of yourselves, wear a mask, and we will see you on Monday. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.